0: The FBI came into one town a long time ago, a little different scenario than one we've heard about, to investigate the work of what seemed to be a sharpshooter. They were amazed to find many bullseyes drawn uh, all around the town with bullets that had penetrated the exact center of the target. When they finally were able to track the man down, who had been doing the shooting, they asked about what technique do you use to attain such accuracy? He said the answer was simple. He shot the bullet first and then drew the bull's eye later. (laughs) That honestly uh, describes a lot of the way we approach life. Uh, We oftentimes get involved, do what we do, and try to make it all fit the purpose of God. And yet, there's an emptiness, there's a void, there's an artificiality about it, uh, because we are not genuinely, uh, so to speak, hitting the spiritual bullseye, the purpose that God has for us. Now, we've been looking at, as I mentioned earlier, rekindling our our passion, and this has dealt with a number of things, especially our time with God, our, our outreach And a number of other items that we have talked about. But what is the ultimate purpose of our life? That which we should be very concerned that God would miraculously work and cause us to be able to hit the bullseye, so to speak. Turn with me to a very familiar passage, Philippians chapter 3. But we're going to look at a verse that is not necessarily the key verse looked at in this wonderful testimony of the Apostle Paul which helped us understand his clarity in the matter of his own life, why he was doing what he was doing, and uh, the deep desire of his heart. And of course, the Holy Spirit inspires this, so we have some very important uh, help here on this. You see, the purpose of our life is not first and foremost the doing, though that comes out of our purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God, and we're going to look at how that occurs. First of all, embracing Christ's heart. Now, our text is verse 12. Let me read that first, verse 12. "'Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus.' Christ has done a great work in my life. He paid a dear price, and my desire is to accomplish all that He uh, dearly paid for on the cross, the plan of the ages. I want to apprehend that. I want to not only comprehend it, but I want it to be absolutely a part of the central core of who I am as a believer is what he is saying. And so previous to that are the very familiar verses, verses 10 and 11, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. So his first burden was to embrace Christ's heart. He knew that to be able to glorify God and to be able to accomplish His purpose, He had to become one in reality with His Savior, that I may know Him. And to know Him would mean that He would have to understand the power of the resurrection and what that meant for Him, which would also mean that He would understand the sufferings that Christ had gone through because he would have a oneness with Christ in giving of himself completely for the ministry, being conformable unto his death. But all of this is so that he could attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Well, let's just look at this just for a moment, this part here. He desired to know Christ intimately, that I may know him. This is the deepest personal intimacy and contact that one can have with one another, to know someone. And this needs to be our heart cry. There is no way we will glorify the Lord or accomplish His purpose in our life if we do not come into, not only, we already have union with Christ because of what He did for us, if we've trusted Him as Savior, but we've got to come into that personal relationship with Him that enables then God to work in our lives uh, in a way that we accomplish what He wants to accomplish. Now we need to realize, and this is something that we forget often, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Knowing." Christ is not knowing about Christ. It is having a genuine, spiritual, real relationship with Him. John was so excited about that. In AD 85, he wrote 1 John 1, 3, "...that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father." And with his son Jesus Christ, and these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. And so, to understand God's purpose, needs to first begin with understanding the Lord's heart. That's why we encourage you at the very beginning of the summer to take a commitment to have an extended time with the Lord every day. Uh, In prayer primarily and of course in the study and meditation upon the Word of God. It's not just to mark off that you've done it. It is to seek Him and to know Him. It is not the end of what our purpose is. It is one of the key means to accomplishing the purpose in our life. There is no way that you can ever truly accomplish the Lord's purpose if you are not Uh, genuinely uh, walking with him, understanding his heart, having that interaction, seeing God move in your life, there has to be a genuine relationship. And that comes because of what verse 11 says, uh, that he desired to live Christ's resurrected life. (coughs) I've got good news for you, folks. The resurrection of Jesus Christ does not only give us eternal life in heaven, We have eternal life the moment we are saved, and not only do we have eternal life, we have the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. You will be in heaven because you already are justified through the finished work of Christ, and you are identified in His resurrection, which means you will be identified, get this, in His glorification. You know, we look at the Christ glorified in heaven and we will share in that glory. We deserve none of it. But that is because of our identification with him. And he says, if by any means I want to attain by the power of God unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, what's interesting here, if you know that word resurrected in this verse, it has a preposition uh, on the front end of it. It means the out resurrection of the dead. Uh, um, the idea of uh, the resurrection the word resurrection means literally to to stand up in the Greek mind living people were standing up and dead people were lying, lying down and so the Apostle Paul is saying I want, and I want you to get this, I want you to know him that I may give the spiritually dead a preview of eternal life in action as I am standing up, outstanding among those who are spiritually on their backs, spiritually dead. Now folks, Christians ought to be dramatically different than the world. And I'm not talking about the things we do, it's who we are that will produce what we do. We ought to be very clearly uh, manifesting the very resurrected life of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 6 verse 1, I'm going to read several verses and I'd like you to follow me here. Uh, The apostle Paul is correcting a wrong view of grace. Uh, He says in verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Don't even think about it. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin? That's what happens when you're a believer is spiritually live any longer therein. Now note this, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized, immersed in the Jesus Christ, were identified, immersed into His death, therefore we are buried with Him by that immersion, that identification into His death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in what? Newness of life, I'm telling you, it's a powerful thing to realize that Jesus broke the bands of death. He conquered Satan and sin. He rose in glorious victory. All of the heavenly hosts shouted hallelujah when Jesus came out of that grave. That's what all of history was was looking toward, the cross and then the great resurrection And we look at the powerful work of Christ on the earth after his resurrection. And then we see him in heaven today glorified. But my friends, that resurrected life you are identified with also. That's eternal life. And let me go on here. Therefore, uh, verse 5, I'm sorry. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, when he died, we died, we were identified with him, we shall We shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. And hear this wonderful verse knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Folks, before we're saved, our our, uh, spirit, who we really are, was cut off from God and we're spiritually dead. When we accepted Christ as our Savior, the Spirit of God regenerated us. We were born again, born from above, we were given uh, true life. And we went from being dead spiritually to having resurrection life spiritually. Folks, salvation is an amazing reality. And so our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin, that's our flesh, might be destroyed. Better rendered here, rendered ineffective. In other words, it doesn't have to be in control any longer. Even though our flesh will have the sin principle until we die and are resurrected. But the body of sin might be rendered ineffective that henceforth, get this, we should not serve sin. Isn't that wonderful? Now, folks, as we think about our purpose in life, God wants us to show forth what He did on the cross. You know, it's wonderful when you say, on such and such a day, I accepted Christ as my Savior. I'm so thankful I know I have eternal life. That's a great testimony. You may be very good-hearted, you may be very sincere, but the humble truth is that we've all had to face is that we're sinners, we deserve God's judgment, and that judgment is forever, and that we are spiritually dead, and unless the Spirit of God regenerates us by trusting in Him, trusting in Christ alone, uh, we are not going to have salvation, and we cannot be living this kind of life. It is not possible. And so we're not talking about a religious life here, friend. You may have been very good, very involved with your church and all the things you're supposed to do, but my friend, if you've never trusted in Christ alone, then everything I'm saying is going to seem like it's totally out of sight because it is. But the minute you're saved, the Spirit of God indwells you, and the identification you had with Christ at His death, burial, and resurrection, burial and resurrection becomes yours personally, and uh, you then begin to live out the life that Christ wants us to live. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul talks about how you've heard from salvation, Timothy, all the things about salvation by uh, uh, your mother and your grandmother. And then he goes on to say, Because you are saved... All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. There it is. That kind of uh, life that's perfect, truly furnished unto all good works comes by knowing the Word, taking steps of faith, but it started at salvation. And friend, I want to encourage you today, don't be embarrassed if you're not certain you're saved. You need to find somebody fast. You need to settle that today. Your whole eternal life and your whole life here on this planet is dramatically different whether or not you're truly a child of God or not. But then discipleship continues with development for our purpose. And this is where we just sort of miss it. We just live a Christian life and we do things that seem to be identified with being a Christian and we don't have that that laser focus on seeing God bring us into Christ's image and to glorify Him by supernaturally accomplishing everything that He wants us to accomplish. A novice duck hunter who had not been out before was tired of waiting in the blind and he decided to forge out on his own and see if he could get better results. After several cold and tiring hours he returned to his friends with what he considered to be a display of his hunting skills. Several prize mallards he thought. His friends were not impressed because all he had was a worthless bunch of mudheads. <laughs> because he, he didn't have the end in mind, he didn't understand the goal, he just wanted to do something. He didn't want to waste his time. He did waste his time. Even his zeal was misplaced because he had the wrong goal. Friends, there's, we want to do something you know we want to be active at times and that's all important we don't need passive christianity but we need to start to know him and the power of his resurrection and through the power of his resurrection to be able then to accomplish everything god wants us to accomplish Romans 8:28 we're familiar with, in 29, I think, say it so well. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be what? Conformed to the image of His Son. There's the purpose. That He might be the firstborn among many brethren. We are to glorify Jesus Christ by Allowing the real life of Christ to be manifest in us and to so have it that God is glorified. So his, his purpose is for us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. One uh, writer said, if you are a Christian, God saved you to make you as holy, pure, gracious, and loving as Jesus. they say, wow, that's a little over the top, isn't it? No, it's not. When Jesus is in control, let me say it again. If you are saved, you're identified with the power of His resurrection, you have the third person of the Trinity within you, and every moment you are walking in the Spirit, you can be as holy, pure, gracious, and loving as Jesus. Folks, that's what The Lord longs for each one of us, for us to be Christians, Christ, for us to be so obviously changed from the normal lifestyle, not by reformation, but by transformation to where there is absolutely no explanation for what is happening except for the reality of God. That is what he is so burdened to see happen. Now, many Christians wait to heaven, and I hear a lot of good old songs that talk about we'll be like Jesus when we get to heaven. And I tell you what, that is a thrill. Oh, isn't it going to be great to be freed of sin and to walk with the Lord and to be glorified? I don't want to downplay that, but folks, we don't have to wait till we get to heaven. We won't have a resurrected body till we get to heaven, we will not be perfectly sanctified until we get to heaven. But we can live Christ's life here. We can have eternal life now. We can have the great and glory, great glorious reality of Jesus now if we will allow Him to work in our life. He died, and I want you to get this. He died so that we can have fellowship with Him forever. Not starting 30 years from now, starting right now. In fact, the moment you were saved... And so that needs to start now. And so that doesn't really mean a lot unless you're endeavoring to really walk with Him. I remember before I really dedicated my life to the Lord, I had the privilege of being around some of the greatest men in Bible Christianity of that era. My dad uh, knew many, and they were in our homes, and I'd be at different meetings. And so since I was with my dad, I'd be sitting through long talks. And uh, they... uh, uh, it, it was uh, uh, it was a little bit boring, you know. Uh, and then I got my heart right with the Lord, and the Spirit of God began to change me. I couldn't get enough of those talks because there were men walking with Jesus, and everything they said burned in my heart. They were saying the same things before I didn't get it, because I was not thinking spiritually. I was thinking fleshly, which is just like the natural man. Thirdly, we need to evaluate then where we are in the present. And so as we think of achieving by the grace of God, the purpose that God has for us, we have to be humble. And if the Apostle Paul was humble about this, then clearly we can be. He had not yet arrived spiritually. If you'll look with me at verse 12, our text, not as though I had already already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. He realized his efforts weren't going to do it. If, If there was a disciplined man, it was the Apostle Paul. If there was a man with great ability, it was the Apostle Paul. If there was a man who had accomplished much, it was the Apostle Paul. But he knew that he had not yet fully come to the place of every part of his life being fully controlled by the Spirit to where there was no doubt all the time that Jesus was living through him. Now, I would say that the vast majority of the time that was happening because when he walked into a town in a matter of weeks, a bunch of people were saved and people were changed and uh, churches were started, God was doing a work because they were actually being ministered to as it were. It was Christ. In fact, Paul did greater works, as Christ said in in John 14, because Christ had already won the victory, was now at the right hand of the Father, and so Paul was really seeing it happen. But uh, he knew that he had to be humble. The moment he thought he made it, he was in trouble. Folks, the minute you think you're spiritual, you ain't. Sorry for the grammar. Okay. Okay. The minute you're feeling pretty good you know i'm a good christian now you can be thankful for what god's done i don't mean that but oh to think you've arrived i don't ever need to make a decision i'm above that i don't need training now in these kind of areas because you know i'm a i'm a mature christian now that's a dangerous place to be colossians 127 Uh, verses that we read often about this to whom god would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the gentiles which is christ in you the hope of glory that's what we have because of the spirit of god whom we preach warning every man teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in christ jesus our goal is to be perfect in christ jesus whereunto i also labor striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. In other words, for others, he realized there was a long way to go and he was giving himself completely because he knew that which would honor God would be for people to be transformed in the image of Christ because Christ was already in them and that needed to be lived out. And so he knew it, that they needed it because he needed it. And he needed to be very humble about himself and God gives grace to the humble. I can think of several times that were key times of decision for me that were very humbling. I've often mentioned at stewardship time, but I'll mention it now. I was a dormitory supervisor uh, of 450 men in college. And um, and so I went to a service, and the pastor preached. It was the church I was a member of there. uh, Preached on tithing. And he very clearly explained that tithing was the first fruits, And it was a tithe off of your gross income. Well, about everything I got was benefits. Place to live, all my meals, my phone, everything but my car, gas, and extra groceries that I wanted for myself. And I got a little stipend. I can't remember. Back in those days, I think it was 50 bucks a week or something, you know. And uh, so I tithed off of that. Well, when I heard the message, I realized... I'm not tithing. I'm given 1%. And I had tithed as a child. I knew better. And I knew that I had rationalized. And I remember the Lord said, I want you to come forward and be public about this. And there they would read every decision publicly. But I, I told the Lord, there's about two or 300 of my guys in here. That will look bad if the dormitory supervisor doesn't tithe. <laughs> Lord, precisely. I want you to humble yourself because I had to make the decision that if I truly tithe, all my money was gone. And God took care of me. Uh, It was a a really good step of faith because when you figured it all out. But I remember going forward, and when I went forward, I died. And the resurrection power of Christ, it was so evident in my heart. And by the time I got all the way down the long aisle and told the pastor why I was coming, Uh, It was such a joy in my heart. God gives grace to the humble. Folks, we must realize we have not attained. If Paul hadn't, we haven't. And so uh, we need to understand. And so he wanted God to complete him. Uh, And he was willing to let God do what had to be done. Are you willing to let God do what has to be done? You know, sometimes that's chastening. Sometimes that's trial. Sometimes... That's doing some things we don't want to do. In fact, many times it is. Uh, Dealing with our will, dealing with our our priorities and how we think about ourselves and our insecurities and all of these things come. Are we willing to allow God to really complete us? But you know, it's so thrilling to me in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 6, the last words that he penned before his martyrdom, he said, for I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is a crown laid up for me. Wow, what a statement. And that was under inspiration. That meant that the Apostle Paul ended with the purpose being completed. Uh, and I don't think anyone that knew him would have argued this was a man that clearly had the resurrected life of Christ dominant. In his life. Well finally then if we're going to do something about it. We need to be determining the future for each one of us. We need to commit to follow the Lord. <coughs> it's one thing to understand things. It's another thing to really make the decision to let God work. You know to really let God work it is costly. Uh, you, we can't just have a piecemeal kind of attitude toward our growth. If We, we either want to know him or we don't. He is either precious to us or He's not. We are either listening to Him moment by moment or we're just making good decisions and crying out to Him when we need help. Discipleship, and I want you to note this, discipleship means abandoning yourself, your sin, your past, your own conception of yourself, your plans for your own future, even at times your friends or your family, if that is God's will for you in following Jesus. Is He that important to you? Are you willing to abandon your sin, your past? Are you willing to believe that God is forgiven? He will work. Your own conception of yourself, whether good or bad. Your your own plans. And I'll tell you, today we've got everything figured out. Even, at, uh, even uh, other aspects. So we very much need to realize that That God wants us to fully trust Him. Peter said uh, to to the Lord, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. (laughs) And the Lord, of course, taught him, Well, you've actually left very little. He had not left his pride, his ambition, his own idea about what the kingdom was. He was constantly trying to tell the Lord what to do. Folks, before we get down on Peter too much, we do that all the time we got our idea of God's will. we got our idea of what we're supposed to do. We have our idea uh, of, uh, of what uh, uh, our life is supposed to be for him. I'm dedicated, Lord, but I want it this way. And Jesus answered and said, if you really will... Give yourself to me, Mark 10:29. Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children of lands for my sake and the gospels, but that he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time. Uh, and it goes on. And uh, God will bless. Jesus was teaching that the disciple suffers no loss for which God will not abundantly compensate. Let me say that again. Jesus was teaching that the disciples suffer, suffers no loss for which God will not abundantly compensate. Do you believe that? Can you really trust Him with your life? You see, if His purpose for us to glorify Him by becoming transformed into His image so that His resurrection power is seen, His eternal life power is seen in this world, if that's really our purpose, then we're willing to let Anything, go. Whatever he says, we're willing to do anything. And we believe that it'll even be better by doing that. Because God's blessing will be upon our life. And so it it's very important for us to get a hold of this. The um, um, Another statement, yes, we must give up our rags, but what we gain is God's riches. God says that it is... Um, We'll replace in a hundredfold by spiritual treasure now and for eternity. Many of you know the story of Borden of Yale, a young man who had a great uh, inheritance, could have lived a very uh, wealthy life, but he got passionate for China, wanted to go as a missionary. And uh, as he went, as a young man, he, had con- he contacted a fatal disease, but before that, he had that, that famous um, statement that has affected many, many a believer over the ages, no reserve, no regret, excuse me, no retreat, and no regrets. No reserve, no retreat, and no regret. In conclusion, the California coast was shrouded in the fog the morning of July 4th, 1952. Twenty-one miles out to the west on Catalina Island, a 34-year-old woman waded in the water and began swimming toward California. She was determined to be the first woman to swim the 21-mile straight. Her name was Florence Chadwick. She'd already was the first woman to swim, swim the English Channel in both directions. The water was numbing and cold that morning, and the fog was so thick she could hardly see the boats in her own company that were there uh, to scare away the sharks. As the hours ticked on, she, she swam on. Fatigue had never been a serious problem. It was only the bone-chilling cold of the water that was threatening. More than 15 hours later, numbed with the cold, the swimmer asked to be taken out. She couldn't go on any longer. Her mother and her trainer urged her to go on, saying that you're close to shore. Yet all she could see was the dense fog. A few minutes later, she was taken out of the water only a half mile away from shore. She blurted out, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen the shore, I might have made it. Why do Christians faint so quickly in the Christian life? God begins to start stirring you for discipleship in your own life. God begins to call you to really believe Him, to trust that spiritual values and priorities are the most important matters of life. And you, and you uh, begin to, to get a hold of that and you start serving the Lord. But then we get faint hearted. I believe the problem is we're in a fog. We don't look at the shore of achieving God's purpose for us. Folks, if we will understand that what God is doing is changing us from being like we were before we saved into His very image so that He can accomplish great and mighty things through us and that people will see Jesus and that he will be glorified through our life and if we can get a very clear picture of that we'll keep going as Hudson Taylor told many of a young missionary your love for souls can wane your desire to really get out there and do a work for God will short be short-lived but if you're going for the glory of God if you're going to honor him by allowing God to do whatever it takes in your life to make you like Jesus you'll finish the course And that's exactly what happened with the Apostle Paul. That's exactly what happened with Hudson Taylor and with many, many other people. Folks, what is your purpose? What are you living for? What motivates you? We can easily say, well, you know, the final matter is the glory of God. But do we really mean it? Are Are we allowing God to transform us into His image? Let's bow for prayer.